Hi everyone, this is Grace Cho. Today I get the pleasure of interviewing Colonel Terry Verts. Terry has spent over seven months in space during his two space flights piloting the Space Shuttle Endeavour in 2010 and commanding the International Space Station during expeditions in 2014 and 2015. He served in the U.S. Air Force as a fighter pilot, test pilot, NASA astronaut, and is a graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy. He's also a graduate of Harvard Business School, where he's a guest lecturer, as well as providing management consulting for companies around the globe around topics such as environmental, business, and motivational. He serves as an advisor for several companies in the aerospace and energy industries, directed several films. One of them is one of my faves, IMAX movie, A Beautiful Planet. He hosts a podcast called Down to Earth with Terry Verts and is the author of The Astronaut's Guide to Leaving the Planet. It's a children's book that was released in 2023, but you may recognize other books such as How to Astronaut Everything You Need to Know Before Leaving Earth, Apollo to the Moon and Back in 2019, and a limited edition reproduction of the Apollo 11 flight plan, as well as a National Geographic photography book called View from Above, which was released in 2017. It is undoubtedly my pleasure and uh, such a thrill to interview my friend Terry, who's got such an incredible background and his view of the earth and all of us living in it. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, Terry. Hello. How are you doing, Grace? It is such a great pleasure and an honor to speak with you, Terry. Where did you grow up and where did you go to school? Yeah, I grew up in Maryland, uh, was born in Baltimore, and mostly grew up in Columbia, kind of right in the middle between Baltimore and Washington. Went off to the Air Force Academy when I was 17 years old, spent four years there. I started off as an astronautical major and was awake at three or four in the morning trying to debug a Fortran program. And I went in the next day and switched my major to math (laughs) because there was less computer program writing. So I majored in applied math and minored in French, which is kind of a weird, uh, weird combination there. Wow. How did you get interested in space and astronaut and all of that? You know, when I was a kid, the first book that I can remember reading was about space. It was about the Apollo program. So, and I've told the story a bunch, but I, I read this little cardboard one-line book and I was hooked. So I grew up with posters of the space shuttle. I had an F-16 poster on my wall when I was little, um, galaxies and stuff. And then when I was 13, a family friend told me to read The Right Stuff, an amazing book by Tom Wolfe. By the way, I just introduced Right Stuff. The Museum of Fine Arts Houston has a really cool program to show cinema, and they asked me to pick a movie, so I picked The Right Stuff. And I saw it on the big screen for the first time. It's a 40-year-old 1983 movie, and I, I had only ever seen it on TV, on VHS or DVD or whatever. So went and introduced that film, but that movie kind of gave me the pathway. The It's about Chuck Yeager and the early astronauts. And those early guys were fighter pilots and then test pilots and then astronauts. So I said, okay, that's the path I want to take. Amazing. Such an interesting thing where it all starts from a movie, basically. Well, it was a book. I, I was read a book the book originally. Book, yeah, before yeah. I read the book, yeah. When you look back, are you doing exactly what you thought you'd be doing at this point in your life? Or were there some surprises along the way? Well, when I was younger, like when I was a cadet at the academy, I really, really, really wanted to fly fighters. I really wanted to be a fighter pilot. And Top Top Gun came out when I was a freshman, and you know, I was right in that time. And of course, I wanted to be an astronaut, but I didn't think that nobody actually gets to be an astronaut, right? So, but I went ahead and pursued it. I have a philosophy that I call "Don't tell yourself no." Like if there's a dream you want, you have to go for it. Um, Mm -hmm. So I got those done. 
And after 16 years at NASA, it was over 30 years total in the government. I just came to the point where, you know, I love the government, but like 30 years is enough. <laughs> I'm kind of an <laughs> entrepreneur, which I love the name of your, your organization, but I'm an entrepreneur at heart. So I was ready to go out and kind of do my own thing. So I made that decision about six or seven years ago to leave NASA. So right now, the question was, am I where I thought I would be? And I never really thought, I don't know, I'm kind of in this weird place where I do a lot of different things. And I love that because I have a very uh, ADD, scatterbrain brain. If I just had to go to work and do the same thing every day, I would probably jump off the nearest building. So I, I like doing what I'm doing. I don't know that I ever thought I would be in this kind of unique situation I'm in in 2023. You know, I find that very shocking and surprising to hear that you have ADD when you're a jet fighter or or, <laughs> or astronaut. Don't you need to be super focused and doing stuff? Yeah, I don't know. I'm joking. I don't know if I actually have it or not, but I, it feels like I do because I, I just can't sit still and I can't just do one thing. I need to do lots of different things. Now, if I'm flying a jet, yeah, of course, I can focus very well. Uh, spacewalk is the best example of that. Those things are... Mm -hmm. You're probably in the suit for eight or nine hours, including before and after uh, you go outside. So you have to focus a lot. But then when I'm done with that, I'm like, all right, what's on the schedule for tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> so I have mod I have I'm a I have functional ADD. Ah, uh, okay, I get it. Well, I was going to ask you, like, you hold so many titles. I know you're just a, an incredible overachiever in so many different fields. So you know, you've done so much stuff, like bucket list stuff that most humans can never get to do. What are your current priorities? Like, what are you working on? That is a great question. So, you know, I've, I've written a few books recently. We can talk about those. And I've, I have some TV projects that I just directed my first scripted film, which was great, a short film. And I've been working in the energy industry as a consultant doing renewable energy stuff, which has been a lot of fun. I love the energy. Without energy, the, like life on Earth is is not good. So that's super important. But the thing that overwhelmingly is the most important in my mind is our democracy. And because, you know, if that goes well, then the economy goes well, then we can have a space program and people are, can feed their kids and have education for, you know, lots of things go well when we get that right. And when we get it wrong, we end up in Orwellian 1984 dictatorships that seem to be thriving and growing and popping up all around the world. So we really need to get that right. And yeah. I don't see us on the right path. I don't think most people do. So that's kind of a passion. I mean, in the right stuff, there was a term, no bucks, no Buck Rogers, right? Like the space program is mm -hmm. not going to happen without money. Well, no democracy, no know anything, right? So we need, mm -hmm. that's kind of this foundation that you build your house on. So we need to figure out how to get ourselves back on track and not just going in the wrong direction. That perspective is amazing. As one of the few human beings who actually seen Earth from space, do you think that experience formed your perspectives now? Or what kind of impact did that experience have on the current work that you're doing? It really did, Grace. So I think most people say, well, you know, we should just all go to space and we can hold hands and sing Kumbaya. And um, unfortunately, that's not true. So the several of the cosmonauts that I went to space with, three to be specific, mm -hmm. um, came back to Earth and joined the Duma. They're in Putin's political party and they're promoting the war in Kuwait. Where they're, you know, they're promoting this evil <laughs> genocidal war of aggression. Oh, dear. And these are people that should be the most enlightened humans on the planet. And here they are doing this. Mm. So... When I look back at Earth, I had a lot of thoughts. One of them was, it's a beautiful planet. It really is a gorgeous planet. One of them was, that is a thin atmosphere. 
there's no planet B, there's only planet A, we need to take care of Earth. And, you know, it's been around for a billion or billions of years, it's going to be around for billions of years. So it's, I don't get too uptight about certain things. But one of the things that was amazing, Grace, so at nighttime, is when you see people, if you look at Earth during the daytime, you really can't see people. Unless mm-hmm. you know what you're looking for, you don't notice there's people. But at nighttime in city lights, what you see is, that's when you see people. And it, it struck me, and I'd never heard this before, but what you're seeing when you see those night lights is not population. You're seeing wealth and you're seeing, you know, systems of government that are functional. And, you know, you can see certain parts of the earth, it's just dark at night, even though there's a billion people there. So, and North Korea is the biggest example of this. South Korea is this bright, thriving Seoul, Korea is one of the brightest cities on earth. And North Korea is just a black hole with a little white dot where Pyongyang is. So I never thought I'd see politics from space, but I did. And Mm -hmm. it kind of cemented that, man, there's some systems that are working for the good of people. And there's lots of other systems that are that are not. They're working for the good of the government, not for the people. So I kind of came away with that perspective. Oh, that's so interesting. So when you're looking at Earth and you're looking at all these different kinds of countries and wealth strata, did you have any more thought about like, I know this is like a big loaded question, but did you feel that humanity was not prioritizing enough, like certain things that you saw with your very unique purview? Yeah. And how is that influencing the stuff that you're doing today? This thought that what I was seeing at nighttime, it happened on my fifth night in space. I was on STS-130, my shuttle flight. We flew over the Mediterranean and I looked out and I could see Israel and Jordan and Egypt and, you know, every everybody. And I'm they were like, they're right next to each other. I mean, when you look down from space, they're like this small little corner. And I remember thinking, what are you guys doing down there? Like, you live in this little area together. You can't, why can't you get along? It really struck me how absurd it is that there's all these problems. But it's interesting that you say, are we prioritizing this or that? What does we mean? Because in, in democracies, basically the people can say, hey, this is what we want. And if the government doesn't do that, they vote them out and put someone else in. Probably most of Earth does not live in that. I mean, if the Chinese people want X, Y, and Z, it doesn't matter. The Chinese Communist Party tells them what they're going to get, right? Yeah. Um, and that's tr- certainly true in Russia, Iran, North Korea, um, and many other countries that are pseudo allies of ours. So to say, are we prioritizing this or that? There's really a really small number of governments that get to decide what they do. And the main goal of political power is to keep themselves in political power. It's not to make the people better off unless it's a democracy where the people can kick you out. So that's a great question. And I think the bottom line is it depends on how you define we, because Putin's goal is not to make the Russian people better. It's just to keep himself in power and he wants to make Russia great again. And he wants to go down as the next second coming of Peter the Great or whatever. It's not to make the Russian people better off. He's certainly not making them better off. He's making them much worse off. I wish there was a way when every leader could go up in space and actually look down on Earth and have that same experience to see how small of a speck of the universe they are, you know? That would be good. But like I said, I just spent seven months in space with... (laughs) With those guys, and it didn't help them. It didn't help them. And so... The bottom line is what you need to do is have an election, get rid of Putin, put in uh, Alexei Navalny or whatever, some person with a decent heart, let them go into space. And then then things would get really better. But until you put in somebody who has the good of the people in in their heart and not just the good of himself in his heart, I think that, Mm. that that's the key. So switching gears a little bit, you're an astrophotographer. Mm -hmm. And when you were up there, obviously you saw some incredible scenes that's hard to describe probably, but 
Can you name one moment that was like most impactful in your memory? That's, I know people are like, what's your favorite picture? And I just, I took so many. The last picture I took in space is really cool. It was this wide angle fisheye of the sun just setting over the earth. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. The Probably the one moment that stands out, I was on a spacewalk, just incredibly busy. You don't have any free time on a spacewalk. You got a million things to do. You have to focus. You don't want to float away. You're <laughs> you're very busy. You don't want to get the equipment wrapped around each other because everything's on a tether and it's super easy to get everything yeah. wrapped around each other. And then I had a few seconds. My crewmate had stopped for a second. And so I had literally like 10 or 20 seconds. So I, I stopped. I kind of rotated my body. So the whole space station was behind me. And all I could see, just imagine being in space, seeing the earth and a sunrise. There was a, The sun was just barely coming up. And I couldn't see the space station because it was behind me because I was on the very pointy front end. And it was like, I could hear God talking to me. I could hear I am and I could see things from, I remember thinking, man, human beings should not see this. I'm seeing something that humans are not meant to see. Mm. I'm seeing creation from God's point of view. That was like my thought. Wow. And then I had to get back to work because I had this cable I had to plug in. So. It was like the most amazing, what I call it is a juxtaposition of sublime and mundane because I'm seeing something that humans aren't supposed to see. You can't imagine. I mean, you just, you can see my pictures. I think you've seen a lot of my pictures. I have, I have, they're gorgeous. But that doesn't, you know, seeing, having them in your brain while you're there, while you're out in outer space is like overwhelming. So that, you asked what moment, I remember that moment. I wish I could like download your brain and actually experience it myself with VR or something. But do the recent movies capture, do they do a good job? Are they accurate? Or should I just say this is just all fake? Yeah, it's funny you say that VR. um, I actually worked on a project with a Canadian company. It's called Spacewalk VR. We made a VR experience where you can go out on a spacewalk with me. It's really amazing. I did did it last year for like a promo video. And uh, when I took the headsets off, like emotionally, I was like, guys, I was just on the ISS. It really made me, it took me back to the ISS emotionally. Oh, wow. VR gives you that emotional impact. They were hoping to do it in science centers and so on. And I think now mm-hmm. they're doing it for like small events. It's a really cool experience. It's an amazing experience. But movies, the one movie I think that is the best way to experience a space mission, I hate to say this, but it was the movie I helped film. There's an IMAX movie called A Beautiful Planet. Mm-hmm. If you have a chance to see it in IMAX, you can rent it. I think it it was on Hulu or you can get a DVD. A Beautiful Planet. It was narrated by Jennifer Lawrence. Um, I shot a lot of it. Some of my crewmates shot some of it. That's like a space mission in a movie. And if you can mm-hmm. see it on the big screen, so much the better. I Like I said, I just watched The Right Stuff. That really, really captured very, very well the spirit of what it was like at Edwards as a test pilot. And I think those early guys... There's a documentary called Apollo 11. Mm-hmm. It came out, Todd Douglas Miller. I did an event with my film, came out when his film did. And that movie, Grace, I went to see it in the theaters when it mm-hmm. came out on the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11. Yeah, I was sweating more. I was more nervous watching the Apollo 11 launch than I was when I actually launched on a space shuttle. Like, oh, really? Yeah. That movie, Apollo 11, really captures the essence of, uh, and it's not narrated. It's all original footage. It's all original, you know, voice and sound. And that's a great documentary. Oh, I will have to catch that. I just saw a trailer for a movie called ISS. You know, there was Ad Astra. There was Gravity. Yes. 
a friend of mine shot Gravity. Chivo Lebeski is was the filmmaker. He won an Academy Award went for it. Yes. And visually, when you look at it, I was like, they're on the space shuttle, or that that's the space station, or you know, uh-huh. they got the Soyuz really close visually, but they're not floating, <laughs> and they're <laughs> they're animated, and uh-huh. I just don't like animated movies. I'm not a Marvel robot fighting animated kind of movie. If you go back to Apollo 13, the Tom Hanks movie, mm-hmm, which I've seen, everybody should. If you haven't seen that, you have to see it. It's amazing. Yeah, it's because it's real. It's like not made up. It's actually what happened. That was filmed on the Vomit Comet on a big airliner that lets you float. It, the pilot pushes over and you get 20 seconds of weightlessness. They yeah. actually filmed all those scenes with the astronauts actually floating. So if you want to know what floating looks like, watch that movie because they're actually floating. Amazing. And I think they do virtual production for cost, but you know, I've watched them all and they're just not, it's just not real. It's not real. I like real. Do you miss that being an astronaut out in space? You know, normally I don't because I have so many different things that I'm doing and I enjoy that. And there's some things you get on earth that you don't get in space. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's good to be down here on the planet. But sometimes I think, man, that, that was so much fun. I was just going through some old footage I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, I forgot. I just found my menu for my space shuttle flight t- this afternoon, actually. Oh, my gosh. Um, oh. Yeah. I'm working on a project. And I was like, I wonder. So I typed menu and Dropbox, and it found this old Excel spreadsheet with all my meals listed out. Oh, that's cool. That was cool. What do you think of Elon's venture versus what NASA's doing? Well, I think SpaceX has been an amazing company. I mean, they've launched a ton of stuff. I just heard an interview with Elon where he said that this year, SpaceX is launching 80% of the mass that humanity is putting into orbit. China's doing 12% and everybody else is doing 8%. Mm. <laughs> so Boeing and ULA and Europe and whoever else is launching 8%. So what SpaceX has done has been incredible. We'll see if they continue it. I don't know if Starship's going to work or not. They just launched the first mission and the second mission. The second mission went a lot better than the first. So we'll see. Elon always mm-hmm. seems to be on the on the edge of melting down. So we'll <laughs> we'll see if he can hold it together. But so far, what SpaceX has done has been pretty amazing. So let's get to the current world. Your various positions, your projects, you're right at the center of a lot of different people, very important people pulling at you in a hundred different directions, whether it's media or business or education and politics. How do you manage all of that? What are your secrets to keep it all straight? So I have an assistant that's very part-time. She just kind of helps him with some scheduling. She's in California. I'm in Houston. But Mm. I need somebody just with me all the time going, okay, don't forget to do this. Like when I was in space, there was a flight controller called Ops Plan, and they scheduled every minute of your day. And so I was so productive in space because I had somebody telling me what to do every minute of the day. I got so much done. And I don't have that here on earth. So (laughs) a lot of it requires self-discipline. Like, all right, I'm going to go to the gym today, or I'm going to do this. And then for me, I make lists and spreadsheets and I have a whiteboard of different projects that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I have to write stuff down because like you said, I've got some energy industry work that I'm doing. I've got some film and TV projects I'm doing. I've got books that I'm working on. I do speaking and I do consulting and executive coaching. And so I have a lot of different things that I'm I'm trying to avoid having a job as as long as I can. (laughs) (laughs) But I have to write it down. I have to write it down. Well, I was going to ask you, like, what's like a couple of really cool projects that you're working on that you'd like to tell the world about right now? Well, I've got a new book that I just, I wrote, I sent an agent a proposal 
a couple that I'm really excited about. I have a kid's book that just came out earlier this year. It's called The Astronaut's Guide to Leaving the Planet. It's an illustrated book for like elementary and middle school age kids. Oh, cute. Yeah, because that's what motivated me. So I wanted to do that. So that's a, it's a great, the publisher did a really great job. And I'd written a book with them called How to Astronaut. It's 51 short chapters. It's a fun beach read or whatever, 51 short. Oh, I remember that. I think I read it. Actually. I think you did. I think we got yes. you a copy. Yeah, it was awesome. It was, it was fun. And I did a Nat Geo photography book. So those are good. And I've been working on executive coaching and I teach a class at Harvard Business School called Why Organizations Fail. Uh. And I've taught that at a bunch of different businesses and it's really, really powerful. It's, it's basically the NASA's Challenger and Columbia shuttle accidents, mm. you know, and it's kind of like, well, if it can happen to NASA, it can happen to you too. So that that's a really, I, I hate to call it fun because it's a terrible subject, but it's important. Yes. So I like that part of the business world. And then the other, I kind of have a left brain and a right brain, and I always forget which one is which, but the other side of my brain is the TV project. So I, I just was on the phone for like two hours with my producers trying brainstorming on some ideas. So. Really? Are you able to share what that project is? I don't want to do it quite yet. Okay. I have an unscripted one that's going to be super fun. I think everybody's going to love. And I have another series that we'll see. Anyway, I ha I have to wait because they're both like I'm awaiting replies. And by the way, <laughs> for mm. Hollywood as an industry, sucks. They are oh, so bad. They 100 of everybody in Hollywood agrees. They're like, we are. We're, this is so bad. It's just like it's so slow, and it's the most inefficient process ever. And everybody changes jobs every two years. So whoever, yeah. whatever company you're with, like forget yeah. it. It's yeah. not, it's not good. Plus with streaming has just discombobulated that industry so much. And I, it's super unfortunate because, well, you and I, we kind of met during COVID, right? Like it's we did. been a few years. Yeah. Uh, right before COVID. Right. And so during COVID, like I watched a lot of movies that I had never seen before. I'd never seen Pulp Fiction. I never really seen The Godfather. And so I watched all these oh, classic gosh. movies. Yeah. Movies are, they can be really good. And there's, there are some great ones being made still. I think I don't want to be one of these codgers, like things used to be better. <laughs> I'm worried that we lose that. Like this, the experience of going to the theater is pretty cool. And even though I, like everybody has amazing TVs at home and they have Netflix and there was something about going out to the theater to see a movie that was special. It was just like degraded, frankly. And it's just, it's a shame. I actually thought about the same thing the other day. The whole uh, making a night out of it on a Saturday night to go to mm -hmm. go watch a movie. Yeah. It's, it's no longer there. It can be. I mean, like, you know, Barbenheimer, that that was fun this past summer. Top Gun, I thought was... Oh, it was great. I so enjoyed that. It's what a movie should be. And so there are still great movies being made. And We got to build a second Hollywood. That's a totally different yeah. conversation, Terry. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. After this venture, we'll, we'll go do that. I'm all about, I've got some, I've got a short film about gun violence that I want to do. I need some funding. I've got a film about the energy and climate and kind of from a actual, from a factual thing, not an ideological point of view. So there's other, there's a lot of projects I want to work on. Amazing. Well, you've done so much. You're working on so many things. What's on your list of to-dos? Like when, when it comes to adventure, exploration of new things, what else is left? You're already doing them all. <laughs> I've never been to the Bahamas. No, get out. You know, when in eighth grade, they said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I want to be secretary of state. So I still haven't huh. done that. The thing about government service, and I, I spent the whole summer and fall having some long involved conversations about this. Before you get involved in that, it really is a good idea to have money because yes. 
100%. Otherwise, you're in this system that really doesn't pay that well. I mean, it pays okay, but <laughs> you have to have a house in Washington and you have to have your house at home. And, there, you know, yes, it's good to have money. And when you're in that situation without money, then you end up making bad decisions, I think. So too many politicians have fallen into it. We're yeah. seeing that with New Jersey. We're seeing that Ugh, um, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, Everywhere, exactly. state level and you know federal yeah, level, exactly. But I could see you as Secretary of State very easily. I would love that. Or Ambassador to Luxembourg. When I was, ba- I flew F-16s in Germany, oh. and I I lived on the Luxembourg border, and I was like, you know, I want to be Ambassador to Luxembourg someday because everybody loves Luxembourg. Nothing bad ever happens in Luxembourg. Like seriously, what's the last disaster that happened in Luxembourg? You never hear about it. They're doing space like their nation. For whatever reason, they said, all right, our thing is going to be, I don't know, like Iceland's thing is fishing. Different countries have different things. Luxembourg's thing is space. So I think I would be a good ambassador to Luxembourg. Plus, they have a really cool name. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) They speak French. I can speak French. They speak German. There you go. Yeah. I find you to be so amazing because you've done all these amazing things, but then you're just so down to earth, easy to talk to. Is that because of your parents? How did you get this way? Probably. I mean, I grew up in a very normal family, very middle class. I wasn't poor, but I certainly didn't grow up rich. And, you know, I had a a 1979 Datsun was my first car that I borrowed from Uh. my parents. And I grew up very typical, I think, probably as most Americans. And when you see the earth from outer space, it's hard to get impressed with the Kardashians or, you know, whatever. Holy imagine. Oh, my gosh. Yes. But I have to say, people always badmouth actors. I had a chance when I made this short film, we did casting and it was about a couple. So I had a, I I had over 50 men for the husband and over 50 women for the wife. Oh my gosh, there's so many talented actors in Hollywood. And we, I cast them in Hollywood. Like I could have picked most of them. It would have been really good. It it was amazing to me how talented they are. Mm. And when you see what they do, once the director says action, good grief, there's a, there's a reason why there's a, there's stars. I mean, they're, they are really talented at what they do, but still they don't compare to the earth from outer space. It certainly brings priorities. What's most important after an experience like that. That's what I was thinking. You know, you're up there looking down the like stupid things that people fight about. Yeah, I know. know? Well, your family is the most important thing. That's my lesson in life. And then after that, trying to leave the place better than what you found it. And I, I'm a big fan. I think this is even a Bible verse where to those who much has been given, much will be expected. And I don't know, I've been given a lot, like the th- privileges that I've had to see things. And I've traveled a lot. I've I've been done speeches on all seven continents in the last couple of years. And yeah, I was just did this trip to Eastern Europe where I was talking with some very high level people in Poland and Estonia and had a chance to go to Auschwitz for the first time. I'd been to Dachau, but I'd never been to Auschwitz. Anyway, I kind of can see the direction that things are going and I can see the direction things should be going. So Mm. I feel like that's my responsibility to try and align those two trajectories, which are not aligned right now. Given all those experiences and your unique view of the world, I look forward to this show that you're creating even more. Well, I've got several. So entrepreneurs about art. When I wrote How to Astronaut, it's 51 short chapters. And I wrote this chapter about space photography that was like the length of 10 other chapters. And they were like, uh, Terry, this is like its own book. So <laughs> mm-hmm. they didn't put the space photography in there because I just had so much, so many different thoughts about the technical shutter speed and aperture and ISO and also the subject matter and the difference between night shots and day shots and auroras and 
astronomy and space photography is its own, well, it could be its own TV show. I've got an idea. So Absolutely. Is it going to be? I have a pitch deck ready to go and a short film that I made as a proof of concept if you want to see oh it. Oh my God. Yeah. I would love to see it. I mean, in the age of uh, David Attenborough talking about Earth, mm-hmm. it would be kind of fantastic to see that as well. I made a short film called Cosmic Perspective, and um, I think it's perfect for a TV series. How space photography has changed our perspective about everything, not about ourselves on the planet and all our place in the universe. And when I was in Poland, I, w- I went over there for, it was Nicholas Copernicus's 550th birthday. Mm. And he was the guy that figured out that the earth was not the center of the universe, that the sun was the center of the universe. That's right. That's right. And he did it really without telescopes. He And just with looking at things and- Isn't that fascinating? It's amazing. And I was at an AI conference a couple of days ago in San Francisco. And we were talking about what does it mean to be intelligent? When do you become sentient? I, this is just an idea I've had. I'm sure I'm not. I'm sure everybody else had it too. But when you can think outside of rules, then that's intelligence. So in other words, a computer can beat you at chess because they know the rules, and they can think 500 moves into the future and add them all up together, and you can't. Exactly. War is not chess. In war, you can put 10 queens on the board, <laughs> or you can knock out 10 of the enemy's pieces at the same time. That's something that's nonlinear. You don't obey rules. And the other thing is, I think intelligence is when you can think of something that's never been thought of before. And that's what Copernicus did. Yes. He had this concept that, hey, the earth is not the center of the universe. He was wrong. The sun is not the center, but he was a lot closer than everybody else was before. It was kind of funny and sad. He had to he had to debate for a long time. Am I going to say this? Because the church was not very happy about that because, you know, so he didn't get burned at the stake um, for speaking the truth. So the fact that he was able to have such a dramatic shift in our understanding of the world was was pretty amazing. Well, he had the courage. In many cases, artists look at the world in a very different way mm-hmm. and uh, is able to change our perspective as well. Absolutely. And they see things just in ways that the rest of us don't. You do too. Well, Terry, when's the next big thing dropping for you? Because you got to come back and we got to talk about it. I've got a couple projects in work. If they happen, if the gun violent short film happens, we definitely need to talk about that. Okay. And if these other projects happen, we need to talk about them because they'll be fun. Sounds great. I'm going to invite you back. You are truly the Renaissance man. (laughs) Honestly, you do so many different things and you help us think in a very different way. Your sense, your Copernicus. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I appreciate that. It is well, you know, that's the here's the bottom line. Don't tell yourself no. Tell yourself yes if. And like one of the things when I was uh at test pilot school, before I was at test pilot school, I was just an Air Force F-16 pilot in the squadron in Germany. And we found these old 1950s black and white pictures, and like Ed White was in one and Buzz Aldrin was in one. And we were having this squadron party called a dining in that we were going to have some one star boring army general talk. And I said, what if we get butt? So I called the astronaut office. I wasn't an astronaut. I didn't know anybody. They gave me his email address. And long story short, Buzz came to Germany and spoke at our thing. And we got to fly an F-16. Oh, cool. But that's like, we got lucky. But if I hadn't asked, it never would have happened. So that's my story sometime. And we're still, I'm still friends with Buzz this day. Almost 30 years later, we're still friends. So sometimes you just have to go for it and see what happens. And if they tell you no, then they tell you no. Move on to the next thing. I can't say it any better. That's the finality of this uh, this conversation. This is like the most incredible thing. (laughs) I had such a blast. Terry, dear friend, 
Thank you so much. And you're going to come back and tell us about your next project. Let's do it about the shows when they get made. Thank you so much, Terry. Thanks, Grace. Bye. Bye-bye.